and also St. James chapter 1 and verse 25. Joshua chapter 1, verse 8 in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, St. James chapter 1, verse 25. Hallelujah. Now we'll begin reading that in just a few moments. But one of the things that, that I think is, 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 is difficult for, for most people today is, is to get somebody to stand behind his or her word. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about today. And when I was thinking about that, uh, I, my mind came to particular uh, businesses and enterprises. And, and there were two that, that really jumped out at me. And if I say it, uh, one particular insurance company says, you're in good hands with, you don't have to say it. You can say it if you like, but I'm not giving out any free advertisement to them today. Yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and, and I can remember that uh, in one particular state, uh, there was a majority of, of the homeowners in that state had this particular uh, insurance company's homeowners policies. And so a particular hurricane, and if I told you what hurricane that was, that blew through, and it did a lot of damage. And when that hurricane left a town, uh, this particular company that said, you're in good hands with what? You know, with blank, they were forced to pay up. But then what they decided to do was because it was just so overwhelming and they had not anticipated the amount of money that they would have to pay out. So what they wanted to do was cancel all the other policies in that state. So, again, one of the hardest things to do is to get somebody to stand behind his or her word. And so there, was an there is another popular insurance company and it says, get so-and-so, it pays. So when it came time to pay off millions of dollars in annuities, their clients discovered that they weren't sold these annuities that they were promised to have, but rather they were sold life insurance policies. Now there's a difference between an annuity and a life insurance policy. I'm not going to get into the particulars of that on today. So again, one of the hardest things to come by is uh, to get somebody to stand behind his or her word. I'm saying it again. So there, is there anybody who will stand behind his or her word? Mm -hmm. Is there anyone who will make promises that will stick? Well, it's a new day and we're, we're tired of the same old problems. We're tired of the same old resolutions, the same old how-tos. So is there anybody, and I mean anybody, who has a guarantee worth the paper that it's written on? Hmm. Yeah, everybody gets a slogan, they get a catchy phrase, a jingle or something, they have a plan, they get a new revelation, but has anybody got a guarantee that's any good? That's what I want to know. Is there a sure way, a sure way to get good footing? Is there a guaranteed route to success? Is there, somebody tell me if there's a one, two, three step process to success? Is there a guarantee formula for success in the Word of God? Well, we've already, I've already given those scriptures in Joshua chapter 1 verse 8 and in St. James chapter 1 verse 25, and here it is. Joshua chapter 1 verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, 
Uh-huh. And then thou shalt have good success. In St. James chapter 1, verse 25. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deeds. So now, while these two verses were written some thousands of years apart uh -huh, by two very different writers, they both bear similarities to one another. Both of them are compelling and cogent to today's message that I'm bringing forth to you today. For if ever there was a guarantee that was given to people of all ages, it is embedded in these two scriptures that we just read this morning. If ever God had given his people the key to prosperous living, if he did, he did it so right here in these two verses. So just then, what is a guarantee? Well, it is a written set of considerations, conditions, and conclusions that are made by one entity to a second entity. And should that second person satisfy those considerations and conditions, then the first person issues or guarantees the conclusion. So what we have in both of these verses are a set of considerations, excuse me, conditions and conclusions that if complied with, God himself said first to Joshua and then again 3,000 years later to James. For he said, your way will be prosperous. You will have good success. You will be blessed in whatever you do. And watch this, and I guarantee it. So for your consideration this morning is, and I guarantee it. So first of all, let's look at the considerations. Uh, the basis or the grounds upon which this guarantee is situated are, are, are thus. Every guarantee has an established framework. You've been to uh, your car dealer, you've been to, you know, someplace else where you might have a guarantee and, you know, you thought that you, you were good to go and everything was going to be all right, but then there was probably something that you overlooked. And perhaps the manager, the service manager, or whatever would say, well, that's not really covered in your, in your warranty. Well, I thought I had a guarantee. The only thing that was guaranteed was the fact that you had to pay them money for that particular warranty, but there really was no guarantee that they were going to stand behind their word. Uh-huh. Yeah. This book of the law shall not depart out of their mouth, whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty. So the authors of, of, of Joshua mm -hmm, stated here in God's law, the Bible, that just like he did when, when they put bits in the horse's mouths, and you've seen, have you ever seen, uh, have you ever been in, 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 been around horses and you will see that uh, the jockeys and they would, uh, or horse trainers will put those bits in horses' mouths in the mouth of a horse? So if that is the case, then what we have here, and that bit in the horse's mouth is to govern them and to take them. You would pull one way and the horse would have to turn his head that way and take him in that direction. And then they would pull it the other way, and it would take the horse in another direction, or they would pull them uh, and let them go straight on. So that same law should govern every direction in which we as people of God go and every utterance that comes out of our mouth. When we say that we believe God, we're saying that God guarantees 
what we're believing him for because it is in line with his word. So here, verse 25 here in James tells us to make certain to look. It says, whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty. That word look, it means to look. It does not mean to gaze. So the idea here that James is writing, he's trying to impress this idea upon all of those who would read the word of God is to literally stop and stoop. Stop and stoop. Have you ever been to somewhere and, or you've done something and it really captured your attention and you really wanted to get a, a better look? If you will walk by somebody's car and you, and you come back and you, and you stop and you didn't just gaze. You stopped and you stooped and you looked inside and said, oh, that's a nice interior. That's a nice dashboard, all of those kinds of things. If you've ever been out furniture shopping, not only you don't just walk through, the furniture store, but you stop and you look. You stop and you, 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 you stoop and then you peer into that. You look at that thing. So that's what we're commanded to do is to stop, stoop, then peer into the word of God. Because when we do that, then we discover what the perfect law of liberty says. That's what we have to do. So we have to make certain now carefully and closely and seriously look at the promises of God and see what God says in his word. And then we have to humble ourselves. That means we have to descend from that high pedestal of self-centeredness. Nobody like that in here today. And stare into God's word. That means we have to get a look at it through God's eyes. You see, we should be seeing things the way God sees things. But many times, because we are distracted by the cares of life and of this world, we see things through our own eyes, and we don't see things like God sees them. So we must get a look at God's word through his eyes. And then he goes on to say here, and he proceeds to say here in James, verses 23 and 24, by saying that if a person just listens and doesn't obey, he is like a man that is looking at his face in a mirror. Because as soon as that person walks away, he can't remember what he looks like. I know I've done that a few times. I know I'll stand there and I'm looking and I'm and all that and I'll walk away. And I'll walk away and say, wait a minute, let me get back here. Wait a minute, let's check something. I don't know, did I check? You know, and all of those things. But we have to, and we are, in fact, we are look people that we are like people looking at our own face in the mirror. So in other words, we, we should be looking and not living out what we see or listening and not obeying that what we hear, all right? Because that's a clear violation of what the Bible tells us that we should be doing right here if we're going to be able to tap into that guarantee. So the considerations of the guarantee are stopping, stooping, and looking. And if we can satisfy those considerations, then now we can go on and look at the conditions that the Lord has said to us. Uh, is that all right with you? So now let's just wait a minute. When you stop, then you stoop, then you look. Did what you see in God's word, in the word of God, measure up to what you see in your own life? Mm, yeah, I'm going to ask that question again. When you stopped and stooped and looked, did what you see in the word of God measure up to what you see in your own life? 
If not, that means we should be going through a re-examining of sorts or upon re-examining, we should be compelled to make some qualitative judgments about what we see in the Word of God, what we see in the mirror. You look in the mirror and say, oh, I need a haircut. Oh, look in the mirror. I need a shave. Oh, I need a new pair of shoes. Oh, I need a new shirt. I need whatever it might be. I, oh, I need to go get my nails did. Not me. Just using that as a phrase. Whatever it might be. So, the qualitative judgment always forces me to ask the question. Now, this is going to get real, and I want you to stay here with me. So, the qualitative judgments and the things that we see ought to force us to ask questions. And I'm talking about me now. Is my salvation hobby or habit? That's a deep question. Is my faith walk hobby or habit? Well, you've stopped, you've heard, and you've discovered it. So is it hobby or habit for you? I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you, explain to you what a hobby and a habit is. So this, this, there's a book that's a, a, a titled The Culture of Disbelief, and it was written by a gentleman by the name of Stephen Carter that asserts for the most of us, God ain't nothing but a hobby. God, his word, and the church are mere hobbies. That's what Brother Carter said. Mm. It is like building model airplanes and, and, and you know, and, and all of us have hobbies. And Building model airplanes is just a hobby for some folks. It's something that's quiet. It's private, it's trivial, it's non-essential, and not really a fit activity within the framework of our recently acquired socioeconomic genre. Well, I'm talking real high up here today. Uh -huh. So all of our professional titles and occupational advancements and intellectual prowess have etched out for us a class status. And in that particular class, God, his word, and his church are no longer in vogue. They're not popular. So I hear you asking then, okay, well, 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 tell me what a hobby is. Let me find out where I fit in. So what is a hobby? A hobby is a spare time indulgence in what I like to do or what you like to do. I had to meet with a gentleman, and I had an, uh, an appointment with a gentleman uh, about some particular matters, and, and he said to me, he says, well, you know, do you have any hobbies? And I, and, and, and I said, uh, <laughs> uh, no, not really. He said, but I do like to work with my hands. I like building things. I like doing, you know, all kinds of things like that uh, and all of that. He said, well, you know, and I, I, I do things around the house. And, and, you know, I said, I'm sure that you know as well that you have a honey-do list like I have a honey-do list. So I, that is my hobby, <laughs> doing the honey-do list. And he said to me, he said, well, no, no, no. He said, no, no, I'm talking about what do you like to do? And I thought about that and said, he says, you need to get something that you like to do and stop doing everything for everybody else all the time. I said, well, my hobby is doing things for everybody else. And so we had this discussion that we never concluded, came to a conclusion. So I'm just going to keep on doing what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. So a hobby is a spare time indulgence in what? I like to do. So what is a habit? A habit is a real-time obsession in what I have to do. 
Let me show you the difference between these two things. So a hobby is a preoccupation of convenience, but a habit is a routine practice or formality. A hobby changes with time and maturity, but a habit becomes an addiction. A hobby is something that you can put down. A habit is something that you just can't turn loose. A hobby is something you play with, but a habit plays with you. A hobby is something that you can control, but a habit controls you. A hobby is something that you just do. A habit just does you in. So now you can see where you fall, hobby or habit. Now that we've defined the differences between the hobby and a habit, tell me, are these hobby or habit to you? This almost sounds like being on Family Feud, doesn't it? Yeah. All right. Tell me, these hobby or habit to you? Coming to church, reading your Bible, studying the Bible, praying every day, daily devotions, weekly Bible study, working in some church ministry, being an usher, going out, missions and outreach, visitation and caring ministry. Tell me if this is a hobby or a habit. Giving to the cause. That includes tithing, offerings, word of life monthly pledges, seed offerings, and so forth. Mm. So then now, because of what I said, and in reading the book, and I read this book several years ago, so I think that Mr. Carter is right. For many people, God ain't nothing but a hobby. You say, well, okay, how about you prove it to me? All right, well, consider the following things then, and I'll prove this to you. Many are more committed to their extracurricular activities and sports more than to Bible study. That's one fact. Many of us give more time to developing our bodies than our souls. It applies to some people. And you've got the nerve to ask God for goodness and grace, being committed to things other than what God wants you to do. So you better take another look at the stipulations of his guarantee. And I'm getting right down here, and I'm really quiet in here today. So let's look at the second condition. Now, when the considerations are clear, are they clear to everybody? Now we can look at the conditions. The conditions are the requirements. They are the essentials or the must-dos that have to be satisfied for the guarantee to stand and hold up. So again, Joshua here in, in chapter 1, verse 8 states, that thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. So in my reading and studying, this text tells us two things. Number one, that you have to pay close attention to and ponder what God says. You have to do that with his word day and night. That is, God's word should always be in your thoughts to the point where you recite it over and over in your mind day and night, even if you do have other responsibilities going on concurrently with that. Another condition, number two, is keep with care everything that is in God's word. There are a whole lot of folk that say, well, 
I believe God and I know what the Bible says, but they fail to keep with care what God, God's word tells them to do. In other words, we have to comply with everything that's written in God's word. We have to carry out all those terms that are stated for us in James chapter 1, verse 25, which tells us that we should continue therein. Right. He not being a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the word. Amen. It's one thing to hear and not do, but it's something else to hear, obey, and then do. So we all have to do those two things. Another thing that this text tells us is that at least three things we should be doing. Having stayed close and peered into his word, we should. First of all, we see that these scriptures remind us to continue therein. That's what James said. That means to keep doing it. Well, give it all you've got. Give it all you've got. Give it all you've got. If you've ever played sports... You've got to give it. You know that you've been trained to give it all you've got. Leave it all out there. Don't hold anything back. You see, because a person may have good listening ears and a good understanding in their minds, but if their heart is not inclined to be obedient to what God says, then you're going to be unprofitable in the things of God. And there are a whole lot of folks that are unprofitable because they won't do what the word of God says for them to do. Secondly, these scriptures tell us to be not forgetful. Everybody say, be not forgetful. All right. It is true that we all do forget things from time to time. Not because we're losing our minds and not just because of any of those things, but we're just so filled and we are bombarded with things constantly on a daily basis and things that we need to do. And sometimes some things just slip. And I'm not saying being forgetful in a negative way. But what Jesus wants us to avoid is that state of mind when it becomes natural for us to forget. I've heard adults say, uh, uh, you know, coming up and not my parents, and I'm, I just want to make that clear, say, you know, they say, well, if their head wasn't attached to their shoulders, they would probably forget that. That may be true. So we're supposed to come in to hear the word of God. You know, sometimes when you've had a meeting or going somewhere and you say, listen, I'm going into this meeting. I'm going in to, 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 to do something. But I'm going to make up my mind right now, no matter what they try to talk me out of. I'm going to stand on what I believe and it's going to be my way or it's going to be the highway. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we have to determine beforehand that we're going to forget or ignore what we hear. That's what a whole lot of folks say. You know, I'm going into that thing and I ain't going to listen to a word they have to say. My mind is made up. Unfortunately, there are a whole lot of people of God that way. You know, and sometimes I'm talking to people and I'm saying, and then they'll come back and say, but I, didn't you hear a word I had to say? And people will call me on the telephone that live, you know, hundreds of miles away and call me on the telephone. If I called some names, you would probably know who I'm talking about. And at the end of that conversation, you know, thank God they are hundreds of miles away and not right next to me. Or it would be a whole different story. But there are a whole lot of people like that. They determine that they're going to forget or ignore what you have to say. 
But I'd rather deal with a person who honestly refuses to hear the word than one who hears constantly and then makes it their business to forget what they heard. Start doing quizzes. Do a little quiz after the service. All right, what'd you hear today? What was the scripture? All right. What was the consideration this morning? What was the chapter and the verse? What was the theme? What was the portrait? What did you learn? What did you hear? What did you see? How can you better improve your life? What are you going to do about that? Mm. So God admonishes us not to become habitual forgetters. But one of the key elements of the guarantee is don't forget what you've already heard. They used to tell us that in school. Pay attention, pay attention, pay attention. What you're hearing is really important. It's really important, especially if it's said more than once. So I'm going to say this again. One of the key elements of our guarantee that God has given to us is don't forget what you've already heard. And finally, this passage of Scripture here in James tells us, but be a doer of the work. So what's it say? So God says you heard it. Now do it. James, this verse 25 tells us that we should be a doer of the work. Note that James has changed his phraseology right here. Just a little bit. Up to now, he's urged us to become doers of the word. But notice now there's a little bit of a shift in the emphasis. You see, God doesn't want us building castles in the air. Instead, he wants us directing our efforts into the performance of doing something that can both be seen and felt. There's going to be a song we used to sing at the old church. You may build cathedrals grand and tall, you know, and all of that, but only what you do for Christ will last. If you remember in the Bible, and I know you do because you're not a forgetful hearer, but in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, it reminds us to let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So God wants finished products which can be seen right here on this earth. And I think we all would believe that, would we not? We all want to be able to do everything we're believing God for. We want, to want them to manifest themselves in finished products so that we can see them and everybody else can see them right here on the earth. God wants finished products which can be used by other people as well. So I'm glad that James here says, doer of the work. That word also translates into the work of the word. Be a doer of the work of the word. So now, contrary to popular opinion, God is not interested in how much work we are doing, but in the net product of what our work produces. Got to be some fruit. All the automakers may have thousands of auto workers in a factory, but of what use are they if they are not going to turn out any cars? All the airplane manufacturers may have thousands of aviation workers, but of what use are they if they're not going to turn out any airplanes? Now, here we are right here. Everybody toes up. So the trouble with our churches, there are hundreds of laborers, but very little labor. There are thousands of workers, but so negligible work is being accomplished. And I'm talking about in the body of Christ. There are hundreds, yes, even thousands of people who view God as a hobby and his work as a habit. 
is they don't want any bother with either. So is that what God expects of us, people of God? Is your salvation hobby a habit? Well, let me ask it to you this way. Which should it be? Well, I'm going to say it should be neither or neither. So we've got to be careful because while some habits have positive virtues, other habits are negative and they have denigrating or negative virtues. All right? Some have a habit of complaining and coming up with great ideas, but no time or energy or money to help implement any of those ideas. Coming to church in rotation. Mm. And coming to Bible study once a month or not at all. Some folk just have a hobby and or a habit of just stirring up mess. Have got to keep something going. What they heard or what they saw was not really what it was. But in their own weak and vain imaginations, they see something the way that it's not, but the way they want to see it. Those are the same people that want to keep that mess going. And then when the fireman comes along to put out the fire, then they get upset and get offended because, hmm. Both hobbies and habits are secular in nature and have satanic effects. I'm going to say that again. Habits and hobbies can be satanic in their nature and have satanic side effects. So I say that now because our salvation now should be neither hobby nor habit. But the text did give us compelling reasons why our salvation should be hollowed. I said hollowed. Hallowed is not a word that's often used to practice. We don't often say, well, we, when we're repeating the song of our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. But otherwise, we don't use the word hallowed. But let me show you something here. Hallowed, again, is not a word that is often used to practice. So enamored and engrossed is our society with four-letter words that we've crossed them from our dictionaries, our lexicons, and our concordances. So this word hollowed to me is a wonderful, powerful, potent word. Hollowed means to be set apart for God. Mm. It means to be sacred. It means sanctified or revered. So it is that same spiritual character virtue that is not second-handed when it comes to the things of God. To be hollowed, all right, and to be set apart for God means you've learned things from God. You've been taught by his word, and you are pursued, and you continue to pursue God because you are a believer in everything that God says in his word. Hollowed is a result of obedience to the word of God. When we follow the example of Jesus, so let me conclude here today. So now, if you can satisfy the considerations and walk within the parameters of the conditions that I've already set forth, then you're ready for the conclusion. You may not be able to satisfy any of those things, but I'm sure you're ready for the conclusion nevertheless. So Joshua and James say a wonderful thing in these verses, that for the man who works hard to produce something tangible for the Lord is going to be blessed. Both of these writers say the conclusion is, and the results are, and the outcome will be that he shall prosper and have good success. And that man shall be blessed. 
in whatever he does. The beauty of all of this and what I've said is we don't have to wait until payday to get our blessing. We don't have to wait until we get over to the other side to get our reward. Our blessings and our happiness are inherent in our performance of the work that God has called us to do. God says you will be blessed in whatever you touch. So we ought to be able to go around touching stuff. I don't mean maybe just physically touching, but even in your mind's eye, touching it in the spirit realm. However, the Lord directs you to do just that. Hallelujah. Therefore, as I'm closing up, I don't want you to be surprised, people of God, when you see me blessed above measure. For God is just showing you what he's already promised, Pastor Dora and I. Don't get jealous when you see the windows of heaven pouring out at our house. God's just making good on his guarantee. Don't get upset with us because we get whatever we dream or dare think about because God is pleased with our work and he's just fulfilling his guarantee unto us. But didn't God say, I'll guarantee that you get it back? He said, if we'll give, He'd give it back to us, pressed down, shaking it. Don't forget to shake it together. Then running over in Luke chapter 6 and 38. Oh, I hear you might be saying, well, they're downsizing, and that's kind of left me out of a job. But I wouldn't be too duly unconcerned about or too duly concerned about that because we've got God's guarantee. God said in Psalm 46 and 1 and 2 and verse 10, it tells us, God is our refuge and strength and a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, don't worry because in verse 10, God tells us, be still and know that I am God. And watch this. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth, for the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. And believe me when I tell God, when I tell you that God can do what in, no other company in the world can do for you. I want you to believe me. God can do what no other company and every company couldn't do for you. Whatever the bank said they couldn't do for you, God can do it for you. Whatever the doctor said he couldn't do for you, God can do it for you. Yeah. Hallelujah. You might say, well, I've been faced with some legal uh, complications and some legal situations. But I wouldn't be too concerned about that, people of God. Proverbs chapter 3, 5, and 6 tells us, is this word, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. And lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. God again can do what no medical doctor can do. Isn't that right? We heard it this morning. God can do what no medical doctor can do. Well, there might be somebody that's listening and say, well, I'm fearful and I'm frightened. And you can't seem to break that hobby or that habit, that habit that's breaking you. And you say to yourself, I don't know why all of this is happening to me, but remember now you've got God's guarantee. Yeah. Psalm 103 and verse 8, the Lord is merciful and gracious, yeah. 
slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. And in verse 10, we are reminded that he had not dealt with us according and after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. But brother pastor, I'm just worried and I'm upset. Mm. I know there's some people out there that don't mean you any good, that want to demean your good name and your good character. And you say to yourself, but I don't know why they're doing that. But you've got God's guarantee, people of God. Psalm 37, verses 1 and 2. Fret not thyself because of evildoers. Neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. Hallelujah. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither like the green herb. Well, brother pastor, things are looking real dark for me. Don't worry about it. Well, I've been thrown out in the cold. I wouldn't worry about it if I were you. And that same Psalm 37 verse 4 tells us to delight ourselves in the Lord and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Hallelujah. Psalm 27 and 1 and 2 and verse 10 tells us the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? So tell yourself, when my mother and my father both forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. But pastor, I want to own my own business. And, and, and Friday's business report says that the housing market is, 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 is not the best in the country, but the economy is still in a slump. Yeah, I heard that too. But remember, you, people of God, have got God's guarantee. Psalm 92 and 12 tells us, The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. The insurance, the finance, the manufacturing, the defense, and the retail stores, and all the industries may be in a slump, but the kingdom industry is not in a slump, people of God. The kingdom of God industry is flourishing and flourishing and flourishing. Hallelujah. All of earth's bearings have no effect on heaven's economy. Glory be to God. Psalm chapter 92 verse 13 says, Those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. And God can do what no financial guru or expert can ever do. Well, the new president has been in office five months. And he's been overturning and closing down everything our former administration put into effect. The things just don't look good. Yes, but we have God's guarantee. 37th chapter of Psalms, verse 23, lets us know that the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. So if one door closes, people of God, God will open another bigger and wider door. Glory be to God. I'm going to say it again. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And he delighteth in his way. So if one door closes, God will open another bigger and wider door for you. What well, did you hear the news this morning? Yeah. But it doesn't matter what they, the mayor, the governors, or the president says. So let all those political winds blow. Let the corporations continue to right-size. Let the job markets dry up. 
This is not an, an implied store service agreement, people of God. It's not a homeowner's agreement. It's not a warranty or a home shopping network agreement that says send it back if you don't like it. This guarantee, this guarantee that comes only from God, it says in Psalm 91 and 1, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. For surely he shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler. And I guarantee it. That's God's word, people of God. You've got a guarantee. Pressure's not on me. The pressure's on God. Because our God always delivers. He can and he will do. Exceeding and abundantly above all that you could ever ask or think. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like to support this ministry, consider giving online. Text keyword RWOLFC to 77977 or through our free app. Search RWOLFC in the App Store. For more information, visit www.rwolfc.com for articles, blog posts, message references, and our monthly calendar of events.